Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the podcast. This one has been a long time coming, trying to get me, Chris, and Austin all in the same room to record a podcast and finally made it happen after months of trying. I drove up from Roseburg. Uh, Austin drove down from Portland. We kind of met in the middle at Chris's shop, Elk River Archery, there near uh, near Salem, and uh, just had a great time recording an episode on bow tuning and uh, also what kind of cam systems are out there, the drawbacks and the, and the benefits to each one. And uh, it's a great episode. If you're wanting to learn learn more about your bow, learn how to work on it, what these guys use for a process on how to set one up, it's going to be an awesome episode for you. There's a lot of information here, and I really look forward to uh, hearing you guys' feedback. Uh, if you have a chance, go check out Elk River Archery on Instagram or on Facebook and high voltage uh, custom high-voltage bowstrings on Facebook. And uh, that's Austin Kincaid, and Chris Dunlap is Elk River Archery. So without any further ado... This is Bo Tooney with Austin Kincaid and Chris Dunlap. Yeah, what most people don't know about the footers, like people think I'm sitting in here and machining them, and I'm pretty <laughs> honest about I'm cutting down aluminum arrows. Why? They're Because I can find the right sizes, and they're, it's 7075 aluminum. Like, I didn't have to spend thousands of dollars on hundreds of thousands of dollars on a Swiss machine or whatever to, to, to do them. So, you know, it is what it is. But you um, still have to do the work on getting the diameters right. I mean, there's well, still a that's, ton of that's, work. I, you know? I can't even, I should show you guys my spreadsheet I have going and everything <laughs> oh, yeah. done because I'm now trying to figure out how to make them for almost every arrow made. Yeah. Like if people want to use them, then that's been my challenge because guys are like, well, does he make them for this? I'm like, dude, I don't know. I just know that he makes them for five millimeter axis and I'm happy. So I can make them for <laughs> most one, six, six shafts now. And I can make them for the two, four, four or two, four, five or two, four, six shafts. I Perfect. just, matter of fact, there's a box sitting there to ship out for a guy on some beam and ICS hunters. Perfect. That's cool. So you wouldn't even think about a footer on a fat shaft on a 19 series. Or what is that? Those are 21 series, series arrows. So you wouldn't yeah, even think about they're it. They're a, I go by interior diameter, mm -hmm. so those are a two. I think those are a two four. Two three two. No, they're two, two four four. Two four four. Yeah. Well, when you're using a standard insert, does a does a footer really become as vital? No, I. And that's the other thing. It's hard to explain to guys. Is guys think footers are going to solve everything, but but what I love is the hit system. I honestly think the hit <laughs> system is the is one of the best systems out there, and for a couple reasons, uh, I love the fact that. You know, guys always want to line their broadheads up. Well, you just <laughs> square the end of the arrow a little bit more, take a little material off. You can line your broadhead vein or blades up with the veins. And um, it's, it, I think it centers the, or the potential for it to be centered is better. How I'm trying to, I think you have a higher potential with an outsert for it not to be centered. The hit insert is so small. It has to be drilled perfect. It has to be tapped per perfect. It's in the center of the arrow. If it's not centered, it won't fit in. I actually had some. So I got some from, who did I get them from? I got some from some one of the one of the manufacturers. They weren't Easton. And um, I literally, they went in fine. Everything's fine. And the field tips wouldn't go in. Mm. I think it was actually VPA's custom shop. They made some footers. 
Oh, I know what it was. Sorry, it wasn't the hit insert. It was the footers VPA made out of their custom shop. And those, because they had, they were more, they were a collar, not a footer, not a, not a full sleeve. They were a collar. Hmm. They weren't drilled perfect. So they'd slide over the arrow just fine. And you go to put a field tip in and it wouldn't fit because it was offset on the arrow. Really? So anyhow, it's just with inserts, I see, I see the potential for more issues. Um, the hit insert gives you one, it generally goes deeper and two, it gives you more, um, more room to play with, like sanding the arrow down, squaring right. it, you know, that kind of stuff. You can so, tune it better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just, I, I really, I just love the system. I think the day six stuff is probably really tough. The hard part with mm. the day six is basically day six got their toughness because of how thick they are. Right. It's okay. We're going to make a micro inside diameter, but we're going to make it the same size as like a 204 shaft mm. on the outside. So it's just wall thickness, mm-hmm. you know, and that's not bashing on them. I mean, it's a great idea. Well, it's just they, super ass thick. Yeah. This is why they're so heavy too. Yeah. That's, that's exactly why their grains per inch are yeah. so heavy. Yeah. yeah I was, uh, I was listening to a podcast with them and they use a really high quality straightness on their arrows. Do you like their, their margin for error is pretty small. And that's why the cost is so high on them because they have to order so many to find that. Uh, so they're yeah. fishing through arrows based on quality. They're, mm-hmm. if they buy a thousand, they sell 500. Yeah, maybe a yeah, lot more, I, maybe a lot less. I imagine I'd have to get them on here to get a better idea, but yeah, basically they're they're picking the best out of the batches and using those. From yeah, from my understanding, the, the runoff. I listened to that same podcast, yeah. and basically it was along the lines of you know it, the manufacturing of the arrows is such that they have a lot of waste, mm-hmm. and so they may. He, I don't think he said this, but it's like one of those things, okay, we might build 100 arrows, and out of that, only 65 yeah. are good. The rest, we're not going to sell even as point zero zero three point, or whatever. Point zero zero five or zero. Yeah. They're just garbage. Well, well so we have to account for that garbage <laughs> in our costs. Right. Well, kudos for him for not making something like, and I'm going to say this because it's like the straightness a beam into an axis or something like that, you know, because with those not-so-straight arrows, they're still good arrows, but they're just losing a little bit of straightness from what I understand. They're not meeting their spec for that eight, you know, for the day six, he could come out with a lower line. Yeah. You know, I, but I don't think he's the type of guy that would do that. I don't know. I don't know him. I, I maybe I just need to get into podcast and pick my, pick his brain myself. But, um, well, I want to get right. into what we're going to get into here guys. Cause we're, yeah. Welcome um, to the podcast. Well, welcome <laughs> to the podcast, everyone. <laughs> do I, I, I know I've told you guys this multiple times and it sounds like a broken record, but for the audience, I am so freaking excited to finally get here. Um, because we said earlier before the podcast, we have guys that have full-time jobs. Two of them have families. I got a family with three dogs, but I don't have kids. That's a whole nother level. And we all have jobs basically on top of our jobs that keep us full time. And good luck scheduling that. <laughs> yeah, I actually have three it. jobs. Do you really? Yeah. <laughs> I teach two nights a week at the electrical apprenticeship. <laughs> you know, for some reason that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> but so in order for all of us to get here, the stars aligned. It took us like, I don't know, four or five months to get it to finally. And now we're meeting in Chris's shop, Elk River Archery here in Omsville. And uh, you got a pretty cool shop here, man. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I love I'm slightly jelly. For uh, uh, just a small little at my house yeah. thing, it's you know, it I like it. It's, yeah, it's not you know people. I think people come in here thinking, oh, Elk River Archery is going to be like you know <laughs> one of the bow shops around town. Well, I'm not because no. it's not what we do, you know. And it's something I something I've learned in the 
we've been in business now 10 months, mm-hmm. you know, and I bought some targets and I bought some different things, you know, to try and be a little more retail and, oh, guys, my, the, you know, some tuning their bow, they're going to want this. Nope. Nope. We're, we're really just a, I sell arrows and tune bows. I tune bows. <laughs> and the other thing that sells really well is all the Phelps calls, which, you know, <laughs> yeah, I love, I love supporting Jason and, and those guys. So. I'm glad that I can sell them out yeah. of the shop, but uh, well, I left you a few uh, OP hats here, so if anybody wants to come buy an OP hat, you know, shout out to myself. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> so, so for anybody that you know doesn't want to have to, you know, anybody that's local to the area or happens to yeah. be coming in the shop that listens to the podcast and wants one of your hats, I'll have them here and uh, Dodge shipping. And yeah, yeah there you, you go. That's the thing is instant gratification. Just come to the shop, pick it up. You don't have to yeah. wait a couple of days for it to show up. We had somebody. Uh, not in Roseburg. They're at Waldron's in Roseburg. Somebody drove two hours, and it was like I felt so bad because I would have shipped it to them. Like I, but they wanted to drive up, and they called Waldron's and said, "Save those two hats and a decal." And so, shout out to whoever that was because that's pretty cool. I never thought anybody would ever do that for something that you know, like a, an emblem on a hat for something I created. Like that was pretty darn cool. So you know, stuff's growing. Elk River's growing. High voltage bowstrings to my left, Austin Kincaid. What up? Uh, why don't you give us a little bit of an intro? You're growing pretty good as well, too. Yeah, I think I started building strings. I think f- it's been about four years ago, I think, hmm. and just did it for friends. There was a local demand. Actually, I was kind of pushed into doing it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I kind of got pushed into it. There was a small demand for it, and then it... You know, you start doing something, and pretty soon you're doing it full time, <laughs> all night long. Well, know. I think part of it was the guy that we trusted to build our strings, who we still trust. A hundred percent. He's he's the guy's awesome, but he was so backed up, and then he had to stop building for a while. And exactly. it was like, uh, man, we need strings. <laughs> yeah, like if just, he's not going to do it. Who's going to do? It? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A good friend of mine. I've known him for years. He built Chris and I string. He's absolutely awesome. Mentored me pretty much, hundred percent. And it's just hard to get in. I think everybody knows it's not an, you're not going to order a set of strings and get them the next day. That's just not going to happen, period. Not high quality. Yeah, you're not going to get, you know, attention to detail on an overnight thing. So, I don't know. It is what it is. Well, w- one thing I tell people when I talk about you and, and your strings and people ask, you know, what strings I use is like, man, the guy's up at, he's working as late as I'm working and he answers his phone whenever. So I'll, you know, we've talked as late as 11, 1130 at night, mm-hmm. your attention to detail and the specs that I think are great. And I don't have problems that I get with the factory strings that I've gotten on all my bows. Pretty much the only, we we're talking about this on the way up here. The only string that I've actually been happy with from the factory was the zebra string from my Halon. That was a couple of years ago. And it had all 22 strands on it, not 21. <laughs> so, right. Well, and, Maybe it's subconscious thing, but I swear to God, my my groups tighten up when I switch to arrows, and, and I think that has a lot to do with the quality and and the precision, and and it's probably mental too. You know, I have more confidence in, in an aftermarket string, but um, I just like rock solid. Like they don't move once the bow's tuned; it's yeah. tuned. Yeah, you just you, you don't have to mess with it. You know, it's important. It's important, especially you know we've been a fixed blade broadhead state forever. Cams go out of time, go shoot a fixed blade broadhead. You know, we've all been there. That's what it boils down <laughs> to for me. And, you know, I have a lot of friends too that just, they kill tons of stuff with their bow and they've done it forever. Put a set of strings on their bow 
and let them shoot it. And it's just, you know, I still get guys every week with rubber tubing on their peep sight. Mm. And it's just funny to still see that shops are setting bows up with that. I see it on custom strings and, hmm. you know, factory strings. Do you think that's to hide peep twist? 100%. 100%. What, from a guy that creates strings, and we are getting into the weeds before we even introduce what the podcast is about. <laughs> but that it is. for and a guy... I, this kind of is what the podcast is. This is, this is I the mean, podcast, yeah. Well, for guys that... I, I announce it to the patron guys, and um, one of them has a question, I think. Um, I'll have to get my phone out here in a second, but uh, has has a question for Chris, because he totally dig the uh, Broadhead episode and the Arrow episode we did. And uh, that's probably the most popular episodes we've ever done. So, guys, we're really excited to get you on the, on the podcast. And then being able to have a guy that, you know, is an expert in the string area and, and tuning himself is, is a really good uh, bow tuner, you know, bow tech as well. Um, this is going to be a really in-depth conversation. And I'm going to learn a ton. But I want to get back to the question here is, is why do guys have problem with peep twist? And why is it so common, especially on factory bows? Factory strings. Loose serving. Really? So. Number one. When I went. And here's the deal. Something that to me is gimmicky. Um, you look at all the bow manufacturer, bow string manufacturer out there. All of them advertise zero peep twist. But I would honestly say that very, very few of them after two, three hundred shots. You're, zero peep twist is, is a pipe dream. So think about a, a bow string as a barber pole. When you look at a barber pole, all the twists are even, right? Mm-hmm. You put a peep sight in it, what happens to that area when you put a peep sight in it? You're going to stretch the, the lines. That, right? the uniformity in the bowstring changes, okay, slightly, which is why you still have to adjust for it when you install and you put your loop on, everything's kind of got to be square. That can be fine for a short period of time. If the servings are loose, going to go ahead and throw it out there, typically non-braided serving. Hmm. Braided serving adheres tight. And it holds. If it's served tight, it will hold. Now, do factory strings come with that serving? Not that I'm aware of. I think this year there's going to be maybe one set of factory strings that might have it on it. Really? Yeah. Who would that be? Um, I think Athens. Really? I think. I'll be darned. You know, PSE's actually, I think PSE might be running it too on their live wires. I try to, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to it. Yeah. But... You know, a lot of the big companies are still running twisted serving, which it does work if it's served right. The bottom line is it's just not as abrasion resistant. Over thousands of shots, it's not going to hold. Mm. You know, Chris Chris has seen it all. You know, he honestly, he puts more bows through here than I get to see. I try to stay away from the bow teening a little bit just because it slows <laughs> me down immensely. So, but yeah, I mean, loose serving. People, are, a lot of people are afraid to use braided serving because it is unforgiving when you build with it hmm. so there's just a, the right amount of tension that's needed to hold and hold for the life of it hmm. well, well and i think taking care of the strings correctly is or your bow correctly is the other part of it i mean guys leaving them in their trucks when it's hot yeah uh, you know uh cold doesn't seem to bug it but you, you know you take your strings out and and run them through the brush that we run through here and it's wet and nasty and that takes a toll on the strings and so, you know, then there's the whole debate of waxing and not waxing. And I have my way of doing things and what I've seen that works best. And I wax my strings. You know, yeah. Well, there's there's some groups of guys that say don't ever wax them again. Mm. I 
I, the way I do it is I wax them using my fingers. I don't use leather or anything else because it can get too hot. And I melt it into where my fingers get warm, not hot. And then I literally take and wipe it back off because what I'm trying to do is get it into the fibers inside the string. And then I wipe it back off because I don't want a bunch of excess. But I've seen guys, you don't need to wax your servings. I've, I've seen guys <laughs> that have wax all up in their cams and they're waxing yeah. their serving and they're trying to wax everything. I used to be that guy too. Don't get me wrong. Like I've done it before, but yeah. wax does not help serving stick. I promise you that. <laughs> I take all the wax out of the served area when I build. But a little bit of wax every once in a while is a good thing. So but you can over wax and you can under wax. So here's the question: is is do you wax based on the amount of shots, the exposure to the elements? To what's your what's I, your? I look at the strings and just kind of watch them and see. And it's like, do they look dried out or not? I can tell you. Weather will dry them out. So if you're out in the desert, you can dry them out real bad. If you're in rain and stuff, that that water getting on those strings mm -hmm. will dry them out and make them look nasty really quick. And mm -hmm. so, you know, it, but again, it's a very small amount of wax heated up into the fibers and wiped. I wipe it back off, Austin. I don't know how you do it, but. Yeah, I don't really wax them. I, I, I wax them once after I'm done working with them, and that's it. Really? I won't touch them again. No, because all you're seeing in the string material for fuzziness is the Vectran on the inside fuzzing a little bit. Waxing it is not going to help. That's mm. not, it's not going to... It just makes it look better. It makes it look better. So I always <laughs> tell guys, yeah, and as far as wax, to me, it's abrasion resistance. You put a little coating of wax on there if you're hunting, it's going to be a little bit more forgiving when you're beating through the brush. It's, mm -hmm. you know, where a, a sticker bush might just kind of rub against it and rub off. But if it's dry, that little sticker bush might snag. That makes sense. And that's kind of where I tell people, it's like, you might as well wax it. You paid for them. Take care of them. Right. Well, I'll tell you, I've, I've been guilty. And there was a time back when I was shooting my hail on, every time I shot my bow, I waxed my strings. I rubbed that tube up and down my string, minus the serving. But I, I was like trying to be really diligent. And there's like hardly anybody has an opinion. Uh, I, I just canceled that. Everybody has an opinion on how often you should <laughs> wax your strings. But I to actually have a reason of here's why you should wax it or not wax it. It's really hard, and so for me, that's actually a kind of an important question because a lot of guys out there, they're like, I I have wax. You know, how often do I use it? First of all, I agree with you guys. I've never waxed my servings. I, I've i always heard don't do that. Don't put wax on yeah. your cams. Get no, that, mineral, you know. mineral oil. I encourage people, like, you know, grab a Q-tip, mm -hmm. drop a drop of mineral oil in it, run it on your servings. Your servings will turn a little silver. You know, they'll look a little beat up. Same with your strings. You don't have to use any wax. Use a little mineral oil, too. It's just... Really? Yeah, it's just lubricating the fibers all That's you're cool. doing. I never heard about that. Yeah, I do it on all my servings before I ship them out. Do you really? Yeah. Okay, okay. So I want to get into bow tuning types of cams because this one, um, we've gone over the broadheads, we've gone over the arrows, and now I want to go over bow tuning. And for guys, um, especially, it's going to be important for guys over east because I'm going to sound like a broken record, and this is coming straight from the guys over east. The bow shops over there tune to a mechanical. They don't have to tune to the specs and the and the accuracy that we have to over here. I'm not saying that we're better hunters or anything like that. I'm just saying they can get away with not tuning a bow as good, right? They don't they need the need isn't there and they need to get bows out of the shop. I understand. So for guys that want to tune their own bows over east, this will be a really popular podcast. But for guys that want to tune their bows over here because they have to use mechanical or fixed blades minus this year, um, starting this year. It's going to be a popular podcast for guys that really want to up their game. And I never shot better and start until I started doing my own tuning personally. And that's because the Bowtech I was using, great guy. He said, no one's going to treat your bow like I, you know, like you do. And I'm like, even if I pay you? He's like, nope. 
No one's going to treat it like you do. I'm like, okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm doing my, uh, I'm doing my own tuning. And you know, blunt. there's, there's probably exceptions out there. Um, you know, Chris, I believe probably for sure. Cause I know you, you do a really good job on, on tuning stuff. I don't want to throw every guy under the bus that has a shop, but um, that was coming from a guy that was in the business for a long time. Well, and I think that's why I have business. That's why I have customers. It's because of that. It's because I really try and treat everybody's bow the same way I would treat my own. It's mm-hmm. like my, my whole philosophy on customer service is I want to treat everybody the exact way that I want to be treated. So, you know, I will try to bend over backwards for somebody you know, and, and even if it costs me money, it's, you know, it's my, re- my reputation means a lot to me yeah. in general, you know, um, and we could do a whole nother podcast, but <laughs> it's part of the reason I don't do the pro staff thing anymore, hmm. you know, um, is just because, you know, I, that uh, whole nother podcast, but, um, the bottom line is, you know, it's, it's, that's really what I try to do. And, you know, I tell people all the time, if you're not happy with what I did, then, you know, hey, you don't have to pay me like, hmm. you know. That's just kind of my philosophy. Like I, you know, I mean, I will do my absolute best. And if a customer really feels that I didn't do something for them, then they don't owe me any money. Now, yeah, I might have some guys that want to rip me off with that. (laughs) I I haven't had anybody take me up on it yet, but you know, there's always that possibility. But yeah, it's, it's, you know, shops, I think I said it one of the other podcasts, this is not a bash on other shops, Mm -hmm. but they have a lot of customers. They're trying to help everybody. And so there's a level of customer service that I don't want to say doesn't happen, but they don't have the time. They don't, right. it's, it's not totally understandable, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's it, again, it's not a bash on the shops, but when you have 10, 15, 20 customers in there and you got three guys, four guys working in the Bust shop, those suckers out, move on to the next one. You, yeah. You got to help somebody. And, and you know, tuning's, Tuning's not always about the bow. Sometimes tuning's about the customer. Yeah. And it's taking the time to, to look at different things. and you know, Shimming cams is a huge one. That's something I see more than anything. Oh, well, and then I, you know, I've had, I've had, uh, I've, I've posted before like, oh, it took me, f- you know, three hours to tune this bow. And guys are like, mm-hmm. if you can't tune that bow in 20 minutes, you don't know what you're doing. No, you don't understand. <laughs> like, yeah, the bow was tuned in 20, 30 minutes, but. I needed to work with the customer and figure out the customer and work on other things. And then sometimes you just get some weird anomalies with stuff and it's taken the time to figure out what, why, Hmm. you know, because there's, there's all these, what we'll talk about today. There's all these things, you know, center shots, this and Camling should be this and blah, you know, but there's an exception to that. And I've seen those exceptions all the time. Hmm. Like this one, this one, you know, just, (laughs) There's something about it. I had a bow in here the other day, and the guy might listen to this podcast. He came in, and he, we shot, and he shot through paper, and it was great. And we didn't have time to go outside. And he left and called me, and he's like, man, I'm just not grouping the way I should, and this problem and that problem. So we brought it back in here. We looked at it. We started fixing stuff. We went back. At 100 yards, he was grouping better than anybody I've ever seen. And I'm mm. like, dude, your bow's done. He's like, let's shoot a broadhead. We put a broadhead on, and his broadhead wouldn't fly right. And I'm like, what the mm. hell? Well... The way his combo was, he didn't. Ha- the best I can tell is he did not have enough vein on his arrow to steer it with a fixed blade broadhead mm. because he was using a micro vein, and he was using four of them. But no matter what we did, the minute we put blazers on his arrow, the broadhead shot perfect. Mm. 
So, you know, there's those kind of things that like right. that, that process with him that day was two and a half hours of trying to look at every aspect of every possible thing to, to narrow down all of the possibilities, you know, it's nice. You can shoot a hundred yards here too. So had he, <laughs> you know, yeah. he might've gone and shot indoors and never had a problem with it for six months. And then, you know, right. So you can actually test them outdoors. But well, when I'm when I'm dealing with tuning, I always break it down into pretty much three arrows. It's either me, the bow, or the arrow. And if it's one of those things, it can it can it really helps me narrow it down. So if you know the bow is tuned, you can narrow it down from the shooter. You can really take a look at him, see what he's doing. Is he introducing torque? Is he doing this? Is he, is he does he have a chicken wing? Is he holding his release funny? Is he breaking over funny? And then if that's all good, then obviously it's probably the arrow. Is it a spine issue? Is it a vein issue? Um, I shot with a little bit more helical for the first time this year, more than I, I always shot with like a slight offset, but there was some actual helical this year and I've always shot pretty good groups. My two groups actually even tightened up even more with just a little bit of helical. So just the finer little details, especially on the arrow end, man, I, I feel like guys really overlook that. I mean, I'm shooting through paper just fine. Well, you're shooting through paper just fine, but that's not the end goal. You know, my end goal is to shoot a broadhead downrange, you know, at 100 yards. And just because you can shoot through paper doesn't necessarily mean, you know, that for me, shooting through paper is a starting point. And this is kind of where I want to start getting into it is for your guys' tuning process on a bows. So now you have the rest on there. Actually, you'll start from a bare bow. What, what do you even do? Well, so real quick, I'm going to step back one little thing and just say I tell customers all the time when they can't get fixed blade broadheads to fly the same as their field points. You have a tune issue, you have a form issue, mm -hmm. or you have a spine issue. Mm -hmm. It's one of those three. Mm -hmm. I, again, exceptions to every rule, but very rarely have I ever seen a bow that when those were fixed would not shoot right. a fixed blade broadhead the exact same as a field point. Right. You know, so it, it's kind of where's, where's, where's the problem. But so bare bow, uh, I don't know if. You want me to go first, Austin to go first, but yeah, sure. I mean, whatever, whichever one of you guys want starts with the ball and take it. Um, I, I'm really curious to see because a lot of guys they just slap a rest on there, and then um, for like me, I level it, and then I I, I get it to shoot through paper. Um, but what I do is I, I I will center the rest and try and keep it within uh, the middle of all the of all of the uh, settings, right? Yeah. So I'm not way adjusting it out to left because the bow is immediately shooting way left. Well, maybe it needs, you know, a yoke tune real quick or something like that. So start going over that stuff there. So for me, what I'll do is first thing I'm going to look at is I'm going to check specs. Mm -hmm. So is the axle to axle correct? Are we making poundage, mm -hmm. uh, over poundage, under poundage? What, what's it doing? Um, from there, uh, you know, if, if cam leans way out too, I'll check cam lean too. That's part of that. Um, you know, I, I will kind of roughly figure we need to make some adjustments, um, but I'm going to stick the rest on it. I'm going to stick a D loop on it on the rest. I'm going to start on every bow. Uh, for me, I try and start with the bottom of the arrow running through the center of the burger hole. Okay. So the burger hole is for those that don't know the hole where your rest bolts. And so I want the bottom of my arrow through the center of that hole is kind of my starting point. Okay. Um, center shot real quick. So center shot 13 sixteenths is where I'm going to start on almost every bow. So that's going to be off the riser to the center of the arrow. I'm going to start them at 13 sixteenths. Um, 
you know, and kind of look down the bow. Okay. You can check it a couple different ways. I have a laser, although I found that the laser is not as accurate as I thought it would be okay. um, to run down the arrow. So I actually use a uh, ruler that goes in 64ths, <laughs> and I measure uh, so off the shelf kind of closest to the rest, and then I go to the front of the shelf mm-hmm. and measure off the riser. And I want to make sure that arrow's running as straight as possible. Again, I kind of, knowing the bows, I look at cam lean to start. So I know that on, um, I'm going to say some of the older Hoyts, pre-RX1, that you roughly want your top cam leaning uh, to where the arrow crosses at the D-loop. So if you hold an arrow on the left-hand side, it should cross roughly at the D-loop down the string. Um, that's kind of my starting point. So I might make a couple adjustments there because as you yoke tune, you change your center shot a little bit. It moves that arrow because it's moving the string Makes slightly. Sense. So okay. Thanks for it's going kind, over that it's kind of my starting point. Um, and then, uh, you know, from there, once I've got the D loop on, uh, everything's level and square. It's always where I start. I'm going to go check cam timing. That's going to be my number one thing. So what's the cam timing at? I'm going to adjust the cam timing until it's set. And then I'm going to go back and double check my arrow level because as cam timing changes, you can change is your arrow level or not. Um, and from there, it will depend on how the arrow is sitting in that burger hole um, and how off level it might be. If it's slightly, uh, let's say it's slightly tell high, right? Um, we'll make some adjustments. It just depends. But once cam timing's on and I'm square and I'm pretty much level, I'm going to shoot it through paper, see what it does. And then from there, that's where the adjustments start. That's the basics of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can get into how to make adjustments, you know, to different bows from there. But that's kind of my tuning, my, my quick tuning process for a basic paper tune. So is yours kind of the same there, Austin? Is that your kind of... I saw you shaking your head when you were over there listening to him. You do no, a little bit I'm different. so much... Just simple. <laughs> so I'm I'm curious because there's different cam systems out there. So yoke tuning isn't possible on every bow. You know, you have a Matthews, which I believe uses shims, top hats, top hats. Yep. There you they go. Call it, they're basically a shim, uh-huh. but they they're, they're a tube that actually goes inside the limb, and they call them top hats. Okay. So what would be the differences between? Um, let's get into cam systems here because this is going to be something that needs to go over before we go any farther into this conversation. Um, I know from talking to you guys, you love working on Bowtex and Hoyts. Those are some of the easiest bows to work on. I just on, love I yokes because I love being able to yoke, <laughs> yoke tune a Half bow. Twist. <laughs> there's a There's a good and a bad from having a bow with yokes compared to, say, like an Elite or an Athens or a New Breed mm-hmm. with the binary cam system. Um, if you change the harness out on a Bowtex, you have to go through all that yoke tuning over again mm. every single time. Hmm. You go to an elite, and you have to shim that to get it to shoot. You're done. You can change the harness out next time. Put a loop in the center of the bow, and shoot it. It's going to shoot exactly the same. So your sight marks are not going to. They're less likely to change based on just a quick string swap. Okay. Does that make sense? That, you don't have to go through all that of, yoke tuning. Yeah, it's kind of the give and take. You can't fine tune them the same way you can with a yoke, but the give and take to that is. Like Austin said, is it's it's set. Yeah, know? I mean, it, the amount, I could set a bow tag up very fast, but hand me an elite, 
<laughs> and it's a said and done game in minutes. Well, yeah, unless, unless you unless you got to change the shims, and then you got to take even that. And that's still pretty fast. But yeah. Well, here's a here's a kink in your guys because I still haven't met anybody that can actually tune a prime worth a damn here locally. Because first can. of all, we don't have primes. <laughs> you I'm can. I'm being cocky. I'm being. No, <laughs> I I had I had one in here. I spent five hours on it. It's just and I got it tuned. I got it tuned. Perfect. Huh. Uh, I, when I say perfect, I think it came out seven eighths center shot, uh, which is a little more than I'd like. But when you say that, explain that. Uh, so just again, it's the measurement off the riser. Seven eighths. Seven eighths is fine. Anything out to about an inch is really. You start really, running on a windage really, on your side at an inch. Yeah, I mean. really pushing it. It's just, and that's like Austin said. Is you know you start running out of windage and uh, you know I. You're not shooting out of the center of the bow at that point. When I shot yeah. my prime, this is why I asked, because when I shot my prime, this is no dig on guys that shoot prime. I loved shooting my prime. I shot my prime the best out of any bow I ever shot when it was shooting. Uh, <laughs> and my my I would be faced you know, this way. My arrow would be way outside. Yeah, and, and that's not uncommon. No. And it's you can't get rid of you can't get rid I of the tear through of paper. Yeah. And they don't fly right. So what we ended up doing on that bow, um, after I had done every normal tuning trick, mm-hmm. um, we uh, swapped limbs top and bottom. Mm-hmm. And swapping limbs top and bottom uh, fixed it. What was weird about that, though, is that the cam timing marks uh, were, weren't were in the same spot. Hmm. And so, okay, let me explain this a little bit better. Before we swapped <laughs> limbs, the cam timing marks were in the exact same spot. When I took the bow apart, mm-hmm. I actually didn't take the strings and stuff off the cams. I left them all together, pressed the bow, pulled it off in one piece, swapped limbs, put them back on. All of a sudden, my cam timing marks are off. Hmm. Okay. Well, that tells me that I've got a limb deflection issue because I've just taken everything still intact. I put no twist, added no twist, didn't change anything, you know, put it back together. My cam timing marks were off. I had to fix it when I got the cam timing marks perfect. Um, it, there were still some issues. The bow ended up going back to prime, but I had called prime personally, and I'm like, hey, you know, I tuned this bow yesterday, and this is what I got, and and this is what I had to do. And the guy goes, oh, yeah, that's normal. I go, <laughs> what? Well, what do you mean is that's normal? No. Huh. I'm like, I, I just swapped limbs, and, you know, I, I swapped limbs, and all of a sudden I got a left-to-right issue that goes away that doesn't, you know... The bottom line um, is you spent five hours. I spent five hours, yeah. yeah, to get it to shoot a perfect bullet hole through paper at seven eighths, hmm. and the arrow was running seven eighths true center shot, so it was running straight at seven eighths. Hmm. But yeah, I spent five hours, and there was some timing issues. The bow went back. It was just interesting. Yeah, so when it, I had my or my uh, my my it synergy, was horrible. Man, I was I was pointing my. I, I, did you ever see my synergy when? I, okay, yeah, it was wasn't pointing that way what, outside. Wasn't, Austin knows the bow that was in here. wasn't It was, it was a Synergy hybrid, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was a hybrid. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I was shooting five. You know, I was shooting broadheads, fantastic. But it just kind of looked funny. I was like, how am I? Screw it. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know like I'm shooting heads out to whatever distance you want to say. That probably sounded really cocky when I said I can tune one. Yeah. Well, someone's going to get. someone's going to get on here, get all you know. No, that's fine. Primes this. are fun to shoot, man. They're. They're, I think they're, I think they're they're so smooth and I hate building strings for them. Anyways, they <laughs> um, their new lineup from them this year's. I don't know. We don't really have. Do we have dealer around here for prime? Not that I know of. 
Maybe. Well, I, Southern I, Oregon Archery, that's where I got mine. Yeah, maybe locally there's one or two. They're not really local to me, if anything. Um, but I've got some friends kind of sprinkled Actually, all over. That's Pacific sh- Crest. Okay, Ray's, Ray's got them. Okay. Hmm. I, from what I've heard, the new CT series is like going to be one of the bows to look at this year. Really? And I, I've got two of them coming right now, so I'm pretty mm. excited. To get to play with them, at yeah, least. I, you know uh, they they shot nice. I just I couldn't get over the tune yeah. issue. No bow should it should not take anything to get a bow to shoot like that. Like mm-hmm. you know, it's like some of the old Bowtex that have come through. I'm trying to think what model ten year old Bowtex. I've seen a couple of them come through, and Bowtex wasn't using shims on those cams. Yeah, okay, well, you can do. yeah, go ahead and try to tune that bow that has ten year old bearings in it, <laughs> no shims. <laughs> And try to get that bow to shoot in the center shot that Bowtech has in their tune chart. It's not going to happen. You're going to get that one inch plus from the riser shelf. You're going you're yeah. to be tuned so far outside on that bow. You have to tell the customer, well, there's no shims for this. Your sight can't go far enough left. Um, <laughs> it's time to buy a new bow. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and like I said, guys that are going to get their pants on fire because we're talking about Prime being tough to tune, you know, get me somebody that can that can answer my questions and I'll have them on the show, man. I mean, why are they so finicky? That's what I want to know. And why are they such a pain in the ass? I mean, maybe you guys have an experience, but... Um, Here's the deal, real quick. Mm-hmm. This isn't all Primes. I've it's had hit, some real... I've had some... No, I've had like the alloys, the Prime alloy... Um, the Rise is a the good Rise. Thing. I, I actually ha- traded a set of Vortex Binos for a Rise just so I could get my hands on a Prime. I like that Rise. I had the Rise. Um, I put that bow together and it was a one shot bullet hole with really? a bear shaft. Yeah, right out of the box. I mean, uh, I think seven ace, which is what they called for on that bow, hmm. set it up perfect. That bow shot amazing. Um, was they they put out a couple of the other ones, the Prime Rival. I've had them all, and hmm. those bows were caked to tune, tuned up great. And then the Synergies came out. <laughs> and it it hasn't been this. It wasn't the same with those two bows. Interesting. What it, kind of cam system is the the Prime? Prime had the PCXL cams on the Rise and Rival, I believe. Um, the Synergy cam, I don't even know what they use on the Synergies. I know the top and bottom cams are different sizes, right? Because the yoke lengths change on them. Yeah. I think what Garrett means is what a kind hybrid? of system? Is it a two track? Is it a yeah? Yeah, it's it's just a binary cam. Okay. I don't I don't know if they call them a four track or. Yeah, a uh, two-track binary. I mean, the okay. way the yokes work. I don't know. I don't really follow Prime a whole lot. Okay, so we have um, you guys just got into a couple different th- solo cam, and why? You know, that's that's an older cam from Matthews that we. You know, if you're not solo cam, then <laughs> yeah, Matthews owns the patent on it. Yeah, um, now they kind of got away from that, but let's go over different cam systems here. So let's start with a solo cam. Round wheel on top, cam on the bottom. Yeah, basically. Um, you have a really long shooting string, which eighty the, to nine, eighty to one hundred and fifteen inches. You know the <laughs> issues with that is uh, knock peep, travel, peep twist, and knock travel. Really? Yeah. The longer the string, it seems to be the less it. The harder it is to keep get the peep right where you want it, and, but and smooth keep it where you want. I mean, what the benefits would be smooth, wouldn't it? Yeah, they're they're generally a little slower, but they're smooth. You know, they are. Um, Was the H yet uh, HTX and HTR? A solo? No, those because those were slower. But man, were they smooth? They're a binary cam. Were they essentially? Yeah. Uh. I mean, you, you have it's just two round wheels, upper and lower. But there's it's basically like a like an elite. You have okay. two cables, right? And they're just pulling on one side of the cam. Well, let's go from solo to what do you guys want to go after that? Probably hybrid cams are okay. the most common cam, at least 
up till this point now, it seems like, you know, PSE, they were kind of, in my opinion, them and Hoyt are king of the hybrids, you know, as mm. far as that goes, which has a bus cable, a control cable, and a shooting string. Okay. Bus cable is a power cable. The control cable just slaves the two cams together in a yeah, shooting string. So basically what that means, like on a, on a Hoyt, um, you know, your control cable is just connects cam to cam. Mm-hmm. Your bus cable connects to bottom cam and goes to yokes on the top. Yeah, pulleys. Okay. So, what would be the benefits over that over a solo? Uh, you know, well, knock one, travel. Have knock travel. Um, generally, you know, when you have cam dual cams like that, your power stroke, so you know that your your speeds and everything is better, and then the tunability. Um, again, you know, being able to to yoke tune. Uh, with that, um, the solo cams, I don't. You couldn't really shim those. No, you and, yoke tune them though. All the Matthews have yeah. adjustable yokes on them. Yeah, you got to get that idler wheel. Start out straight, and then you know, for a right-handed shooter, you're still going to have to burn four or five twists in the right side to get yeah that bow shooting where you need it to. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I was thinking more of the. I, when I think Matthews now, I kind of out of the solo cam thing. Yeah. I start thinking of their new. Yeah, we're into the Halons. Yeah, their trio system, and you can't now. yoke tune those. So. Yeah, it was just funny because they were so hardcore solo cam. And granted, you know, you need to change your technology as times get better, but they were so solo cam or nothing for man a long time. It seemed like they were great. Yeah. I still love like. I have adrenaline at the house right now, and I'm just like, uh-huh. he, he doesn't have to come pick that thing up. <laughs> I, it's fun to shoot, man. They're, That's they're really nice. My big buck you got to see yeah. in person today. I killed that with the Matthews adrenaline. Oh, yeah. Did you? That's mm-hmm. a step bow. Dude. Is awesome, man. That's that's the thing, uh, Buckster. That's that 224 or? 225. Yeah. 225. 231 yeah. and 225, yeah. yeah. Well, we're near that big. I'm not. I'm still not going to short you an inch when you're when you're <laughs> two twenty five. Jesus. Um, so what would be the drawbacks to a hybrid over other cam systems then? Because the, there's got to be something. The biggest thing with hybrids is the ability for that bow to stay in time. Really? Yes. So you have two different cams. They're not the same, top and bottom. So explain that. How often would you have to maybe work on them to keep them in time? Depends on the string set I, and depends on how you treat it. Hmm. You leave a bow in a hot car, you're asking for serious trouble. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't think there's any set in stone thing really because I think a lot of it's the cam design. You know, I've had a couple... Like my uh, Hoyt's, like my Spider Turbo that I had, that bow was just bomb proof. You could bu- you could build strings on that thing, shoot 50, 60 shots, mm-hmm. just retweak it one time, and that bow would be like a set it and forget it thing. Hmm. And then, you know, maybe move to a different cam that maybe Hoyt made or something like that. It might it might just be more sensitive. Some cams are they just seem to be more sensitive than other cams. Not manufacturer based like PSE to Hoyt, but it could be just. That particular cam Hoyt released might just be more sensitive hmm. to going out of time. Um, you know, serving changes shape in the cam tracks. When that serving changes shape, that is a reason to typically retime a little bit. That makes sense. There's one thing I do want to go over for cam tracks that scared me from, I forget who was it. They had really shallow. I think it was Bowtech. It was Bowtech. Destroyer 3 4. Yeah. The Destroyer. And just looking at people, I'm like, man, any torque that. Suckers yeah, gonna people pop right de- off there. People derailed it. They kept saying that they dry. F- it was no. like, no, you derailed it and then it dry fire. I saw that happen literally but with my own eyes one time. Well, the year life. after, and they came out with the LE and it, the 350 <laughs> with deeper cams. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you couldn't. The, the thing was, is uh, it wasn't so much the torque. It was when guys would let down. They couldn't let down straight. Anthony, remember that? And they would literally torque the bow letting down yeah. and they would derail the bow because the cam track was so shallow. Right. And so Bowtech 
quickly fix that, or they yeah. tried to quickly yeah. fix that. Well, when you think about it, when you're letting down, I don't know anybody that really does it. You're gripping that bow, and you're introducing, and then mm-hmm. you're letting it down. So you're you're doing like kind of this kind of thing. It really does make sense. And I back when I was shooting my halon, I'm like, you know, I was looking at these guys that had the the Botex, and I was just watching it because a lot of them had a lot of new friends getting into archery, and I'm just watching them like cranked on that thing. I'm like, dude, that's sketchy. But uh, yeah, deeper cam tracks. That's I remember thinking about that in 2015, 16, and just watching guys pop them off. <laughs> but so let's go to the next thing. What would be? So we hit solo, solo hybrid, hybrid dual binaries. Binaries, yeah. There, that's took the word out of my mouth. So binary. Yeah, that'd be considered a two-track cam system. So you have identical mirrored image cams, mm-hmm. upper and lower, um, in a shooting string. Um, As far as bomb proof, that is the way to go. When you have binary cams, you lose the inability to go out of time. Okay. So you look at the Elite binary cam system. Bowtech has it. Um, I think pretty much everybody has a binary cam bow. Every single manufacturer. Um, You lose the ability to go out of time. Um, Basically, you have one end that's letting... Okay, so mirrored image cams. Mm -hmm. You have two pegs for the cables on each... Basically, one that's kind of tucked up behind essentially you have one one end of one cable is letting out of one cam the other end is taking up hmm. so both you have, cam- two, you have two identical cables is basically and two identical so two identical cams two identical sets of tracks it's like dual it's like dual control cables basically yeah i mean you let out i mean if you were to take an elite mm-hmm. and literally just put strings of cables on it and one of the cables is a 16th of an inch out mm mm-hmm. You're going to set that bow up dead knock level, and you're still going to get perfect arrow flight out of it. Okay. It loses the ability to go out of time. What would be the drawback to that, Cam? You have limb stops. Mm. You're going to run into limb stops. Um, I've shot them. No yokes. Yeah, you're not going to have any yokes, so you're going to have to shim cams to get the bow to tune. So you're talking about the the limb stops as a negative? I like limb stops. Limb stops are nice depending on how you shoot. Yeah, I shoot. Well, you know how I shoot. I shoot pretty hard. If you <laughs> shoot hard into the wall, you're going to pull yourself off target with yeah. them. You have to learn to really sit and just kind of hold the bow and yeah. let the shot go off on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, I've shot them for. I really liked my impulses from Elite. Those things were great. I think I had four or five of them in a couple of years. There, yeah. Anthony's an still shooting. Bow. I think he's shooting the inter, uh, Impulse Thirty Four. Yeah, great bow. <laughs> my that favorite. Bow a of all seriously, time. good bow. Yeah, yeah. they're great. Um, but yeah, that's one of those bows you can literally. It's just idiot-proof bow. You know, you and I don't think I've ever even had to shim an impulse. Like that is the ol- one of the only bows I think that I've literally bolt a rest on it, put a loop on it, run it through the center of the burger hole, and that bow is done. Hmm. You're not going to get better performance out of a bow. So would the prime be a? That is a binary cam bow. Right. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So what else is there out there? Uh, we have twin cams like the Diamond Infinite Edge. Um, that cam is. I don't even know if anybody really runs a true twin cam anymore on like a flagship line. The problem with the Infinite Edge and some of those other bows that have twin cams, I think Bear might have a few, maybe Mission. Um, yeah, maybe. Those bows, if you pull too hard into the wall, you'll throw them out of time. Mm. So, I mean, if you sit at like an Infinite Edge, go ahead and... You'll pull You'll pull the backstop or you'll pull the... Um, you'll pull the one cam out past. of time. Yeah, you can, I yeah. can literally draw an Infinite Edge back straight. <laughs> Put more high wrist into it, and you'll watch that bow go out of time. <laughs> Put low wrist into it, you'll watch another cam go out of time. I mean, it's a kid's bow. 
you know, I'm adult shoot them too, but you know, depending on how hard you pull into the wall, you're actually taking the bow out of tune. Yeah. See, that's one thing doing this budget bow challenge, playing with all these different bows. It's like, man, you know, when using a hinge, because sometimes, you know, I'm you're still, pulling. yeah, you're pulling and then getting that, make sure that things going off at the same pressure every time those lower end bows really aren't that friendly for a guy that really loves to use back tension, oh, yeah. you know, like maybe that's just me. And I'm also still learning how to use my hinge, but yeah, you know, that's, that's something I've been running into with that outlaw, um, that I wasn't supposed to buy. <laughs> that was solo cam, right? I, I think so. Yeah. 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 Cause you're like, dude. <laughs> you're gonna love tuning that thing and then i like started bitching to you like They'll a week later <laughs> yeah but, so you have twin cams like on the infinite edge and then um the closest thing to a twin cam in my opinion is the Botech overdrive cam which is my cam of choice for sh for certain um that bow can go out of time my um, btx yep your btx all my Botex. um we're looking at a bunch of them right now it's pretty sight yeah it is i'm taking um, a picture before i leave <laughs> and uh i love that cam system it's got the yokes on it um it's got a one piece couple cam to the axle so there's really no shims that can get i've seen binary cams actually with shims that get worn down from friction over time too that's another negative to a original style binary cam mm -hmm. um the cool thing with this cam system is those axles are coupled to the cam so that as that cam draws back, you can watch those yoke bearings or bushings, whatever you want to call them, and they physically rotate too. Um, so basically you have one side of it that's split connecting to the pulleys on one end. That same cable hooks up to the cam on the top. Those cables are the exact same length. Um, they're pretty maintenance-free once you set that bow up and you time it. That bow does pretty good. A lot of people say, you know, yokes are more likely to stretch than anything else, and they're right. I mean... You only have half the strands on one side, so it's not uncommon after shooting it to have to go and you know throw right. a twist in one side of a yoke leg. But the ability to control that cam left and right is amazing. Hmm. That's where that bow really shines. It's setting that bow up, you know, throw a loop in the center of the bow, set the rest dead level, time the bow, shoot it, and then adjust your yokes to start, and you're going to get amazing broadhead mm. flight out of those bows. Well, I think we did it, unless we, you want to add anything, Chris, I feel like we did a pretty ag adequate job of breaking down the uh, the cam systems out there. No, I'm, um, I'm good. I think, and then there, I think the I'm big, gonna there's one more even, too. Huh. Well, it's still a binary cam, but look at the Matthews Halons with the floating yokes. Um, who else runs them? Um, uh, PSE runs the Evolve cam now, too. And Darton, actually, who owns... I'm pretty sure they own the patent on Dude, that. Dude, those Evolve cams are sick. They are... I love those. The Evolve cam and the Bowtech Overdrive cam, in my opinion, are the two best cams, period. Yeah. Period. I, I love the... I, I, I shied away from PSE. I shot them for years, and after I got... I just wanted to try new stuff out there. And, and plus, they were aggressive. We, you know, X-Forces and stuff. Oh, yeah. But these new Evolve cams are... It's not the it's same. It's making PSC. me a PSC fan again. It is, man. If I didn't shoot the Botex, I, there's not a question in my mind I wouldn't shoot the Evoke 35 God, right if, now. If the handle didn't just suck for me, like I just can't get past the handle. I love it. You love it? <laughs> I love oh, the PSC handle. Oh. I always have. PSC's <laughs> handles are amazing. It's like a... It's like grabbing a two by four. It is. <laughs> well, it. the carbon bow is. The, yeah. I had the stealth last year mm -hmm. for a brief period of time. <laughs> a brief period. Of time. The handle is just <laughs> brutal on the carbon bow. They have to do that though because 
look at Hoyt's. Look at Hoyt's carbon bows. They have that, is it a tech riser they call it, the tech light yeah. riser? They have to have that on a carbon bow for stability because of the the way the material is. They've been P- doing that tech riser, though, for forever. Long, be- long before they did the carbon yeah. bow. And look at PSC's first carbon bow. Well, I think PSC had a carbon bow a long, years ago, way before any other bow did, hmm. or a bow manufacturer. I think PSC put out the first carbon bow ever. Really? Yeah, a long time ago. I don't remember what model, I think. Chris? Um, I'm trying to remember, too. I, <laughs> actually, I don't know. I, I actually thought it was Martin put out a carbon bow, like, Maybe. way back in the 80s or something. Yeah, somebody... Uh, I know Hoyt was not the first one to make a carbon bow. Really? No, there oh. was there was one, I, but I want to say it was Martin that actually did it, it way, way back in the I'm day. I'm going to put this out there. First person on Instagram, I'm going to put this on Instagram, this soundbite, to tell me what was the first carbon bow, period. I tell you right now, it wasn't a Hoyt. <laughs> it's probably well, going to be I, some... I will send you something. There you go. Period. I'll send you a gift. Cool. So um, I don't want to get into the mods and because uh, that's yeah. I don't want to get balls deep into yeah. cams. But um, let's go ahead and move on farther into the tuning here. Well, so I think the biggest question people are going to have now is we keep talking about shimming and yoke tuning and why, <laughs> what, where. Because, uh, you know, most guys walk into a shop and the shop sets it up and then they go shoot through paper. And then what they see is guys moving their rest. Yeah. Well, don't my, ever move the rest. And, and that's I was gonna exactly go there. my thing is is you know, once I've once we've set center shot, there's very little reason to move the rest. Uh, you know, so from there you're going to, you know, at least the way I do it, it it's going to be a, a yoke tuning thing. Uh, where the rest might need to be moved is if you're yoke tuning to a point where it's not right. You know, uh, I've seen some bows come in that were the the cam lean was so bad that it looked dangerous. Like <laughs> it looked like. Matter of fact, we have a buddy who just because of his form and he admits it, he knows it. His cam has to be shimmed so hard mm. that it's scary looking. Like it looks like that string is going to derail. What's the first letter of his first name? K. <laughs> first Ken. Name. First name. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> uh, uh why, what's the deal with that it, it, that's his grip okay torque so so i tell he, people he, he, he torques the bow real bad yeah but you know you set center shot and if you don't get a good hole through paper then you've got to if you can again uh, uh let's take the hoyts or botex you can yoke to right. so you start adjusting yoke so if you get a right tear you're going to add some twist to the right yoke. And whatever you do to one side of the yoke, you want to do the opposite to the other to not adjust your cam timing. Because if you just do it to one side, you're now adjusting your cam timing. Hmm. And then that even comes into, if you have one side that has a lot of twist and the other side doesn't have hardly any, and you add more into this one and you take some out of that one, well, it's not an equal adjustment. So you've got to, you know, that goes into the fine tuning of double check, double checking your cam timing. Yeah. <clears throat> but the point is, is your rest was set up center to start. Your rest should stay center, and your arrow should try and stay center. So we do some yoke tuning um, for things like the elites, the Athens. What we look at is is changing shims to move the whole cam over. Hmm. And you can do the top or the bottom or both. Um, and uh, It's typically not going to be the same because you got a flex or a, like a roller guard or uh, – <clears throat> Uh, you know, cable slide rod, and it's mm-hmm. not in the center of the bow. So, one, yeah. you know, your top cam might require a little, like, 
what, maybe 10,000 more movement in the bottom. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys went over that because I, I see that all the time, and I used to be guilty of that until um, it was it John at Waldron's pointed out to me. He's like, why are you moving your ass? He's like, I'm like, because it's shooting, you know, tearing this. He's like, keep everything middle of the middle, tune the bow to that, you know, basically – center shot and everything and then if you still need to make an adjustment then you can make an adjustment but if you're bottoming your adjustments out there's that's a telltale sign something's wacky on your bow like you shouldn't have to be adjusting your sight all the way out typically you shouldn't have to be adjusting your rest all the way out that i can think unless you're using the wrong rest but um you know is there exceptions to that because i I mean, for me, just trying to keep everything middle of the middle, I'm, I'm trying to look at my boat, my BT, uh, BTX, wherever the heck that thing is. It's up there. Um, Big waffle cams. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm not even sure because I haven't spent enough time on that thing. That thing's got a uh, whisker biscuit on there. But um, when would you have to have everything? When would you have something out of whack? To even Is there even a reason? There's so many. Outside of grip and form and stuff. No, Outside of grip and form, short of... The bow itself mm -hmm. being the specs being off, not put together correctly. When I say specs, I'm not talking your axle axle, but yeah. something drilled a little bit off. You know, um, the 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 cable slide or your roller guard or something's not quite right. I mean, you know, there's all the thing with a bow is everything has to be really, really precise. And so a little bit here, a little bit there of things being off in the machining process and the quality control can equate into, okay, now this isn't going to be, you know, dead perfect where it should be. Mm -hmm. Now we have a little adjustment um, that needs to happen. Like my 13 sixteenths, if you're at 13 sixteenths and your arrow isn't running square, so the back's 13 sixteenths, but the front is, you know, 15 sixteenths, okay, well, we need to, you know, figure out why. Do we adjust the string or do we slide the rest until the arrow's, you know, perfectly square? And that's what square. I do when I set a bow up is I, you know, I use an engineering ruler and I measure to 812 on the front of the shelf and then the back of the shelf. And when you get 812, 13 sixteenths, sorry, <laughs> um, to the center of the arrow shaft, you know, I mean, you're pretty much in the center. A of the as long as they're square, I mean, like the 13 sixteenths, that's just a starting point. Starting point. Okay. But the idea is you want it square to the bow. But that goes into, you know, there's all sorts of stuff. Is there a little extra material? You know, is your rest actually on there? You know, there's so many of those little factors that can create different things. So everything's kind of a starting point, and you adjust from there. Um, it might Again, it might be one of those things where uh, somebody's grip mm -hmm. is a little bit off. So we've yoke-tuned a little bit, but, like, they're still just the, the, the whole through paper is not quite perfect. And we've yoked tuned to a point where we don't want to adjust it anymore. Okay. So we're going to move that rest just, just a tiny amount. Mm -hmm. um, you know, again, that's kind of tuning to the customer and their grip and everybody's hand size is different. Everybody grips the bow different face pressure is another big one. Huge. It's not just the hand. It's your face pressure. We have two guys that we both work on their bows, like, you know, really close mutual friend of ours. And, mm -hmm. Uh, they're the biggest pain in the ass like, to work with. Like, <laughs> Give them a shout-out. <laughs> yeah, they're good dudes, and they know who they are. But uh, I love them. Uh, but that's, you know, these two guys are prime examples of, like, that's just how they shoot a bow. 
And that's right. why these guys have to shoot bows with yokes. Like they both shoot bow tags and it's for good reason because they can get those bows to shoot. Well, if they're doing the same thing consistently and you can tune it to them, more power to them. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, both of those guys have gone out and shot other bows and for very short periods of time because yeah. they realize, like, you know, I have to have con full control over that cam mm -hmm. in order to make it shoot for me. And that's just the way it's going to be. Off-base question. Uh, when you put a string onto a bow and you're setting a bow up, because right now we don't even, we, we don't even have the peep on necessarily yeah. yet, um, there's been a conspiracy theories about when you put the peep in the bow. Do you shoot it 10 times, 20 times before you put the peep in? Do you let the string rabbit ears set? Uh, do you just put the peep in there, tie it in, call it good? Depends on the day. I don't know. <laughs> My personal bows, yeah, because I have so much time with them. Like, I don't know. You can – the way I always set a bow up for somebody, I won't shoot it ahead of time. I The first thing I want to do is get knock sets on that thing. Mm -hmm. um, well, that's something we didn't talk about is is the actual knock sets and stuff, part of the tuning process. Yes, of, not, uh, tied but, in knock sets are invaluable. Yeah, when they are you, so when you do your D-loop, so what we're talking about for those of you that don't know, um, instead of just having a D-loop by itself uh, – what you actually do, uh, what I'll do is I, I tie the top part of the D loop, but I don't have exactly it perfect, same for me. perfectly tight. I get my knock in there. I adjust everything where I want. And then I'm going to take some serving material and I'm going to tie in the bottom and I'm going to do like four, maybe five ties and then cut it, burn it. And then I'm going to actually slide that, the top D loop off right. and I'm going to tie a knock set. Now I know Austin doesn't always tie the knock set up top. I do doubles. You don't have to. I, I personally do doubles, but I'll tie a knock set up top and I want just a little bit of play. The whole point to that is you don't walk knock, knock pinch. Right. So if you're drawing back and your arrows lifting off your rest or anything like that, you have knock pinch. Knock pinch can be a tuning issue. Your arrow's not coming off the same. Your knock sticking too much. There's potential issues there so or if you change arrows you know you go from exactly. one knock to the next and all of a sudden you're noticing uh, if you go from an axis to a beam and you're probably going to have knock you're pinch. going to have problems. so <laughs> so you know you, you you leave a little play which is almost counterintuitive because we always consistency consistency mm -hmm. your arrow is still going to be consistent you can have a slight amount of play in there which is what you want and then i finish tying the d loop in from there the other thing i see all the time is shops they crank, and I did it for quite a while too. Is they crank on those D loops so hard to try and separate set them, the serving. and they separate the serving. Yeah. You know, uh, you really don't need to. It's like get some tension on it. You know, get a little bit of tension, get it set play, yeah. and then it will set itself as you draw it back. It's not going to slip through if you've tied it correctly. Um, you know, and then there's all sorts of debate on right-handed, left-handed D loops, the way you tie them <laughs> in. Um, you know, and and what I my personal philosophy is I do all of mine the exact same way for right-handed shooters and the exact same way for left-handed shooters. So the two are opposite. Um, I don't think it actually matters consistency necessarily, but what happens is if you tie them in quote unquote backwards, mm -hmm. uh, if you're using a hinge and you're twisting your hand or anything, that D loop, the, the actual uh, knots in it, or the the half hitches will start to twist opposite of each other rather than staying in line. Yeah, just I never thought about for that. for good practice. Just just do one on your bow. Just tie. tie <laughs> when you have knots on opposite sides, they're pulling against each other. Yeah, it's got to keep it from coming undone too. I mean, there's yeah, put a knot on backwards and try shooting it. You're you're gonna 
going to a yeah. tailspin. And another thing that I do further too, kind of getting back to the peep site and when to put it in, I actually do that before I even put my loop on. Like I'll, really? I'll, I do exactly what Chris does. I'll start my loop on top just so it'll hold my knock. I get my arrow running dead level on my bows. And then from there, once I have my tight end knock set, everything comes off that top part of the tight end loop is just kind of sitting there. I've already got a peep measurement from that bow when I shot it with, you know, before I changed the harness out, I measured from the top of the tight end knock set exactly to the center of the peep. Install that, see what the peep does when you install it. So what's going to happen is on a right-hand twist bowstring, you're going to see that peep fold to the left, mm. typically. So it's going to fold to the left. You're going to notice your loop move to the left. You can actually, with a set of custom strings, just pinch that peep, straighten it out. Now you tie your bottom part of the peep, secure it down in line with that peep sight, and you're going to be good to go. Mm. Or you could take the bottom loop off the string, add a half a twist to that shooting string. That's going to correct your peep, get it lined up. Then at that point, in my opinion, you always want your peep sight in first before you set your loop. In my opinion, and, and, and it keeps just everything clean looking straight. I mean, we're looking at like ten bows with perfect peep sights on them right now. <laughs> See, and I I don't do mine like yeah, that. You are, but, but but I I play with mine. I train the string a little bit if it, I need to. I it, play with my D loop. But here's here's one of the big things about peeps, and that goes back to actually what I said earlier about the barber pole effect. Uh huh. Once you introduce that peep sight, you throw off the twist rate above and below in that string. Hmm. So once you, like Chris said, he's kind of training it. He's basically spreading those twists out above and below the peep a little bit, and it just gives you. It's the same thing as kind of shooting it in. Hmm. Okay, bit. but one of the biggest things I see with customers, and I'm talking 95 percent of the customers that come in here, is their peep is not set correctly. Hmm. It's a huge, huge, huge issue, and most of them, the peeps are set too low. And so people are inducing more face pressure because they're having to turn their head down and they're looking down through their peep rather than neutral. And I have to literally, on a lot of people's bows, I have to take their sight, their sight off because <laughs> instinctively, what I tell people to do, so this is kind of my process with the peep, is I say draw back, anchor. As soon as you get anchored before you have like your nose touching or anything else, but you're in your anchor spot, close your eyes. Get your nose to touch or whatever your other anchor points are. I always try and get people just to have their nose barely touch their string. Mm -hmm. When your nose is touching your string, open your eye. You should be looking dead center through the peep. But what happens when the sight's on there is they might be looking dead center through the peep, they go but the they sight. can't see their housing, so they're moving their head. Yep. I don't care about your housing. Forget about your sight housing. Yeah. Take your sight off if you have to. But the most natural head position you will ever get, the most consistency you're ever going to get is anchor in, mm -hmm. eyes closed, get your nose to touch where it's comfortable for you, and then open your eye. If you are not looking perfectly dead center through that peep, that peep is not set for you. Mm. Get it perfect. What most people that come in here find out is that their peep has to go higher than what it was before. It gets them more range. If they want to shoot yeah. longer distance. That's a bonus. Um, you know, <laughs> but it gets them in a more natural head position. Your head is more upright. You're looking straight through the peep. You're not looking up. You're not looking down. And it gets you more consistency. But people are off on that all the time. I haven't had enough time behind my BTX. We should probably do that before I leave here. But um, it, it's 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 crazy how yeah. many people are like, wow, I didn't know I had to move my peep up that high. And it's, yeah. But you're no longer having to look down. But some of that plays into your axle to axle. This is why 
you know, we talked about maybe talking about the new bows and, <laughs> and what we like and don't like about them. Uh, you know, I have a long draw, but I, you know, shorter axle to axle bows give you a string angle that make you have to look downhill oh, in yeah. order to get your nose to touch, no matter who you are. Well, I shouldn't say that. My 13 year old son that has a 25 inch <laughs> draw, he can shoot a 28 inch axle axle bow or a 30 inch axle axle bow. His draw is so short, the string angle is not going to be bad. But the longer your draw is, even on longer axle axle bows, right, the more it changes that string angle to be narrower mm. instead of wider out. Talking shorter axle axle bows, there's one question I get, and I, I don't understand why I get this question. Maybe there's something I'm missing because I shot long range with 28 inch bows mm-hmm. and even shorter if you're a good shot and you're consistent in what you do you can definitely do it okay because the guys are like well can i shoot long range with the with the verdicts i'm like or the, oh, with yeah. the uh Tri-axe. Tri-axe, shorter, shorter like, axle to axle yeah? bows tend <laughs> at least for me they tend to be more torque sensitive huh. so at a longer draw with a shorter axle to axle bow that string angle's really narrow and it's you're sitting back there so long your potential well, torque just look at what you got you have a you know, X amount of riser length that your hand is directly influencing. So let's say you have mm-hmm. this short, stocky riser like the Triax, and then, you know, since it's a Matthews, let's just say you have a Halon X, which is a 35-inch bow. A lot of guys use it for hunting, you know, or whatever. Target 3D, outdoor. You have way more material in that. So put your hand on this small bow and, you know, torque it back and forth. You're going to move... It's going to take less movement to move that whole bow. Hmm. Where you have this bigger bow, there's just more there. There's just more surface area. Your hand is going to stay the same, but how much movement is in your hand is going to not show up as much in that longer bow. Hmm. That makes sense. And and I'm telling people, I'm like, it's more about the shooter, guys. But It I mean, really is. Uh, I yeah, it, it, you can shoot the bow 100 yards. It'll it'll fling an arrow that far. I mean, I, I don't. I've never had a problem shooting. Look look at the day Matthews <laughs> released that bow, the Triax. Uh-huh. Jesse Broadwater got on YouTube. <laughs> who's yeah. like, you know, he's one of the top five shooters in the world. <laughs> yeah, and he put like a fishing bobber on a, a Reinhardt 18 and one at 100 yards and drilled it. Yeah. yeah. What but what I tell people. It, I could sit out there all day and I wouldn't do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Why do target archers shoot really long axle to axle bows with longer brace height? Well, These was, are people that are make and not but the guys that are making a living mm-hmm. shooting target archery, they don't shoot short axle to axle bows. They're not as forgiving. More torque potential. Worse string angle. There's a lot of things to it. So yeah, go shoot what you can, and I'm not saying you can't, just like Austin just said, you know, guys shooting a bobber at 100 yards or 80 yards or whatever it was. Yeah. I can't yeah, shoot that those, scope. Those guys can <laughs> Those guys can do that, and if you can do that, great, more power to you, have fun. Yeah. Um, I personally, I know my threshold. I am never as consistent and never shoot as well with a bow. I have not found one yet under 32 inches axle axle. Hmm. Any bow I've ever tried under 32 inches axle axle, I can't shoot. Nope. I had the Matthews SDX right after the adrenaline. Missed the biggest black tail I've ever had a shot at. Really? At 20 yards, you know, head on. Guys are going to be, ah, oh, he shot, took a head on. Whatever. <laughs> I love and, that and, shot. You know, it's People were listening it's to you up until that point. Torque, you know, I. it was it was torque. I shot right past him, you know, and, and it was, yeah. you know, people, uh, it wasn't the bow, it was you. Uh, you're right. I torqued the bow. Yeah. Because it's one of those things. 
For I me, that those short bows, the peep sight's so far away from your face. Well, and that's the other part of it is to get it up higher, to get it up based off of your You're right your, below the cam. I've had some You're not that even are, getting a peep are, in it. <laughs> I've had some that come really close to that top serving. It's like I can't even put a knot in this thing. <laughs> well, look like, at I can do Mark's the bottom. Bow. Look at Mark's bow. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. a what is that? That's a realm. realm, just standard realm. Yeah, Mark's peep. He uses the top of the cam serving. That's where his peeps. That's the top tie-in is oh, the Jesus. serving. You so I, I mean, I've told him, I'm like, dude, you're a 30 inch draw. You got to shoot a big bow. Like you just have to, buddy. You got a seven and a quarter inch peep bite. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, the one thing again, I might, I always say I'm going to get hate mail off of these. Cool. But uh, <laughs> I love hate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but if you can't walk around the woods with a 33 inch axle axle bow and have to have a 30 inch axle axle bow, you got an issue, man. Like I hunt some of the thickest, nastiest crap. I hunt with a 35 inch axle axle bow with a 12 inch stabilizer on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like. It's accurate. It is never, ever once. The bow size has never once been an issue for me hunting. Man, we hunt in I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. You're you're trying to find a BS excuse to, to to whine about it. And, I, I <laughs> again, I don't care what you shoot. I have lots of triaxes that come through here. Yeah. That's great. Well, I know? could see a guy maybe hunting out of a blind or a, a tree stand, but that's not what we're doing. I mean, that's not what I'm doing. Well, I do. Yeah, you, yeah, you hunt out of a freaking tree stand. Yeah. I, yeah. Dude, Cody shot his antelope out of a blind. I've, that's I true. Out of a blind. Yeah, that's it's, true. It hasn't. You know, you do have to watch. Okay, I will give it. If you're, if you're, what guys are going to say? Well, okay, it's not carrying around the woods, but I got to watch out for this or that or that. Okay, you got to watch out for that stuff anyhow. Like if you're not yeah. watching for limbs that your cams might hit, or if you're worried about it, you know, I'm uh, constantly hitting, looking at that stuff, hitting uh, your tree stand or you know something else in the blind. You know, it, it's all that stuff you have to be able to work through and, and watch and see. Um, so there might be that advantage, I guess, is, well, I don't have to pay as much attention. Getting a know? little off top. You know what I get the most hate for? Hmm. Hunting with the quivelizer. <laughs> you want to talk about, Those like. are uglier than shit. You can call it whatever you want, man. I get more hate from him, you. Dude, I get private messages. I don't every, give you a lot of hate for that. Dude, how many. I found a couple guys, like, I found this in the woods. It's a quivelizer. It fell off their bow walking through the woods. Yeah, no. My son, my son, hunted, <laughs> my son hunted with one this year, and he decided he didn't, he didn't like it. Would the wind deflection be any worse than with a bow that goes straight with the riser i mean i feel like that's I think, that's i think it would. i've been hunting with her for four years i've probably been using it longer than anybody in the state mm-hmm. bar none i've had like a couple different models of it i've had the one that's the machined aluminum rod uh, that has holes drilled i don't know what the theory was there i think it looked like an uzi it was kind of cool um <laughs> that one seemed to drift a little bit less because it had a little room for air and when i drew my northeast oregon big bull tag mm-hmm. i hunted with it out there and it was windier than hell mm. And the only thing I didn't like about that is when I was busting brush, brush was snagging in those holes, and I'm, like, trying to uh. rip it out of brush, and it would get kind of tangled up. But, man, I get PMs almost daily on that thing. Anytime anybody uh. sees me with it on my bow, and I hunt, like, look where I killed my bull this year. It was 10-foot deep vine maple. <laughs> like, I don't know. That was a jungle. Where yeah, you it was really bad, and I, I didn't even think about taking it off. Like, mm. it's... I like trying new gear, man, but I, I, no. I um, mean, my I, good, my good buddy Kevin. He's probably, and he's like Mister Ultralight everything. So I finally, I was, I've been preaching to him. I'm like, dude, you got to get one of these things. He finally got one, uh-huh. and he actually texted me. I think it was like two days ago. He's like, I'm so sorry for hating <laughs> on you. He's like, this is. He likes it. Yeah, I- he's like, this is some of the best shooting I've ever done out of this thing. 
And I was just like, yeah, you can say sorry, you know, again. That's funny. It was funny. It's just another, I don't know, it's one of those things. Not all the shops carry them, so you don't get to try them. And it's a huge leap spending $225 on a product like that. And if you don't like it, you're stuck with it because nobody else is going to buy it most likely. Right. Right. Almost like a prime around here. Those things don't hold their value at all. That's I mean, a whole other thing. No bow holds its value anymore. Brand new bows from dude. last year. I'm telling you, this is not – Chris and I have been in, you know, into archery. I mean, I've been shooting almost 30 years. Uh, I'm sure Chris has been shooting a long time too. Um, and we bought, we, Chris and I buy a lot of bows every year. Hmm. Resale on them used to be – I would say pretty good. Like a guy could go get a bow and hunt with it, and dude, the bow rack would give you like when I had my hand on there, offered seven fifty trade, and and that was when the new bows came out. Absolutely, it was like with my with my Hoyt this year, I had to throw everything on there just to get what I wanted. I had to go it, yeah. the kitchen sink, the case, arrows. I even gave them um, fully set up arrows so Perks. you could just copy that. Perks. Yeah, yeah, I mean Jesus. Yeah, it's gone really bad, man. Recently, um, to the point where it's almost not worth reselling but chris and i were talking earlier it's like my realm x i've got two two awesome bows right now and killed a ton of stuff with my realm x last year and just the resale on it is so bad the realm x yeah i mean for an 1125 dollar bow that is nobody will pay more than 600 dollars for it's that bad i bought i don't i don't i I, 650 i'm seeing quite a few i've still seen guys trying to sell them for 700 but they're staying (laughs) i'm telling you last year like or two years ago, a bow like that at that value would it sell it for eight hundred dollars? Yes. Like quickly, like yeah. overnight. I've done it. Yeah. As know? recent as the Halon. That's my most recent. And then that cocksucker stole it out of my garage. But um, oh, that one. That yeah, that one. Yeah. So it's still floating around Roseburg, and I just can't. I can't it, prove it. But um, it got posted on the classifieds, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I found the I guy. Mean, he works yeah. for one of the companies we do safety for. Oh. I hope he listens to this podcast. Oh yeah. I know he doesn't. He's a, yeah. But uh, so is there anything on the, on the tuning aspect? I, I want to chip in one closing thought here real quick is, you know, we can talk tuning, bow tuning to the death. Unless oh, yeah. you got your shit straight as a shooter, you're wasting your time. You got to fix your grip. You got to fix all that stuff because if Chris does a perfect job tuning your bow and plus you also need to tune it to the shooter like you guys alluded to earlier, um, you got to have that stuff down. We've already done – I don't know if we've actually done – no, I've done podcasts on that, you know, shooting as a shooter and form and all that stuff and good habits, good foundations. So if you need to listen to that, go back and listen to it and then listen to this one. And we've done one on the broadheads and, and the arrows. And so this is really the last one a guy should need. Yeah, I mean, for it depends on how in-depth we want to get and how much time we want to spend, yeah. you know, as far as, <laughs> well, you know, if we're going to get into bear shaft tuning and, and yeah. you know, all that. But, well, you know, we did I mean, that on the arrows. I mean... Well, yeah, we kind of, yeah, we kind of did, but yeah, Should you we know, even went over clocking on that episode. Oh yeah, that's good. <laughs> well, that's, it's, that needs it needs to be done, man. It's important. And it's starting to become. I think arrows are starting to grow popularity with all these Facebook forums. Yeah, there's a ton of bad info, man. Oh, there's there, a yeah, lot there's, of there's bad info. Yeah. I stay away from the arrow thing. I'm just like Chris, build me arrows. Here's here's <laughs> here, I guess here's here's what I would tell people is you know, um, and again, this isn't a bash on any shop, but. If you go into a shop and you're getting your bow tuned and you shoot through paper and the first thing they do is start moving your rest, you might want to yeah. say, so, hey, know, let's, let's try yoke let's, tuning let's, first. Or well, if you have yokes or whatever, but let's, you know, let's look at, yeah, <laughs> can we shim? Can we do that? You, yeah. you know, and start educating yourself on that stuff and, and why, you know, but. I hear it too many times of the first thing that happens is guys started moving the rest. Okay, you're, you're just taking your arrow out of center shot. And, and so what's that, what's an untuned bow do, you know, it goes into the mechanical versus 
um, fixed blades, which is a whole other subject. Oregon just changed, and we could get into a big debate on on that but we definitely have different views in this <laughs> in this yeah, group where we're sitting yeah. polar opposites on yeah. that one yeah but uh <laughs> i want to shoot mechanical uh and uh, i'm in the middle shooting uh, hybrids <laughs> yeah and, yeah it's a whole other subject but uh you know it's the problem with with having a bow out of tune is your bow is not going to be as efficient and effective uh, you know it's not going to be producing you know, the speeds it should, uh, it potentially won't be as quiet as it should be. You know, there's lots of different, lots of different things there. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest thing is that you're losing efficiency. If your bow is not tuned right, if it's not, uh, being able to, uh, use its power stroke correctly and that kind of stuff, you're losing efficiency. You know, you guys watched me shoot my bow earlier. I think you Jesus. took a quick video or something or a picture of it I or whatever. I think I took a, I don't know. If it, was it phone a video? video. Phone yeah, video. Phone. I'll upload that so, thing, dude. But, you know. It's pretty wild. That The reason that bow's putting out those speeds is because that bow is running dead level, dead square. Yeah. Cams are timed perfect. It is being as efficient and effective as it can be. And so it is it is transferring as much energy as possible through that arrow. Through the center yeah. there. I go should on, upload you. that video on YouTube with the actual DSLR. That's pretty pretty impressive what that bow's putting out. Yeah, yeah it's uh, you know you got it really well figured out when you can step outside and you can throw a bear shaft arrow and uh, <laughs> a, a, a field point with a flat arrow and a broadhead yeah. in the same hole at forty yards. I mean, you're pretty <sighs> yeah, much and done. That, and you know. for let's be realistic, ninety five percent of people out there aren't going to be able to do that because you're far higher so percentage. Yeah. With, when you bear shaft. Uh, a bow. I don't bear shaft. I used to try and bear shaft back to 40 yards and I would group my, like group arrows. Like I had one bow, uh, literally I took a dozen arrows and I took one of them was fletched and every other one was bear shaft and I shot them at 40 yards and they were stacked inside of a, like a chew can size at 40 yards. You know, for folks that are listening to this, don't do that. Start off at like 10, 20 and work your way back. (laughs) I don't do that. I don't do that anymore. So when I bear shaft tune, my bear shaft tuning is done at like 10 feet. Huh? Um, impact on the target, you know, and it's impact on the target. And what I'm looking for is I shoot a fletched arrow and a bear shaft and I want the angles of impact to be identical. I try and shoot them about one inch apart at the same height. And from there I'll make adjustments. And usually like if we've gotten a good hole through paper and then we bear shaft real quick, we come back and shoot through paper. You know, if they're not hitting identical, the holes through paper are even better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and then from there, just for real quick, uh, you know, after I, I take one fletched arrow and then one bear shaft, and then after that, I will knock tune all my arrows, but I don't knock tune my arrows until that's done, hmm. you know? And so what I generally find though, with my knock tuning is I don't have to twist knocks. Once I bear shaft tune stuff, I shoot every bear, every arrow, I, sh- I shoot it through paper. But, um, what I find is at least I sell mostly Easton and Black Eagles, um, like my match grades, they're all perfect. I, I like might have to twist one knock a quarter. Turn. Yeah, really. And that's it out of a dozen. That's crazy. So anyway, that's that's kind of my basic process, um, and you know, uh, very rarely do you ever see a bow that's been bare shaft tuned that won't shoot a broadhead the same as a field point yeah. all the way out, like. 
I'm kind of ignorant. I don't even shoot my broadheads. I'm, I will, like, <laughs> like a couple days before season. I just know that when my bow's doing everything right and you, you know, and you got a good arrow that you – I mean, I'm out there all summer shooting, but, dude, when you're out there, you know, 60 yards and you're throwing a bear shaft into an elk target and your field point hits, like, an inch away from it at 60. Yeah. I think your bow is pretty well-tuned, man. You should shoot the broadhead, obviously. I saw a video with Jesse Broadwater uh, – shaved the veins off of his arrow and then shot basically almost you know pretty much had zero guidance from zero steering because he shaved pretty much shaved him off with a knife real quick so there's just like little bit of lines oh, yeah. of veins and then he yeah. bare shafted that thing like a hundred yards yeah it was like geez and that's a combination of good <laughs> the right arrows for that bow i got a guy that too. doesn't have an ounce of flinch in his body yeah you know and can hold a pin on a fishing bobber at 100 yards you know I, i'm not that good <laughs> yeah but i'm not even a third that good. No, that, that I was like, mm, these guys are. I anomaly. got room for improvement. <laughs> yeah, but that you know, and that tells you right there. I mean, it's really to me, it's really easy to weed out an arrow out of uh, you know, because I'll have twenty four arrows when I go out and I get my hunting arrow set up, and I'll go to the range and I'll. It's just grouping them. I mean, you know when you made a good shot. If you shot long enough, you should know when you made a good shot. Mm -hmm. And if that arrow doesn't go where you hit, and the other six did, there's something with that arrow. Maybe a spine inconsistency in the shaft or something's, something's – it could be anything. Well, and some of that goes into – you get less of that with properly built arrows yeah. than you do with the mass just oh, yeah. cut from one end, not squared. Yeah. You know, you start weeding. Yeah. It's so. usually as simple for me as going out at 60, and I'll shoot – I don't even shoot in bare shaft. I'll shoot just, uh, you know, a half dozen fletched arrows at 60 yards into an elk target. And if there's one out of six, that's – say typically with improper spine arrows you'll see high and low hmm. but like if you get a funky kind of a funky arrow usually it's a high and low and if i've got one arrow that's five inches below the rest of my group i'll grab that and just throw that knock you know clip it onto the string and i'll just twist it 90 degrees shoot it again with the rest of that group mm. and hey everything's cleared up this we're good to go now makes sense and there's my you know first six hunting arrows okay but by the time i'm done i have 24 of my favorite arrows <laughs> Well, I'll put it this way, and, and and I used to be this guy. If you have a good arrow in your quiver, like the arrow, like that's my good arrow, you're doing something wrong, guys. I have Every 24 of my arrow favorite arrows. in your quiver should be just as good as your best one, your, your your most accurate arrow. You know what I'm saying? Like, If you don't have a full quiver of those, then you got room for improvement. You're yeah. doing something that's costing you accuracy, and there's something in this tuning arrow building that you're not doing. Every arrow in my quiver, I can take it out and... I'll shoot it at an animal with confidence. Yeah. You know, if you don't have that, then you might rethink what you're doing. Yeah, your sixth arrow shouldn't be <laughs> shouldn't be the, That's the crappy arrow. one versus yeah. your you know your first arrow. <laughs> you know, it's it, yeah. You should be able to grab any arrow in your quiver and and yeah, it should be just as good as the number one arrow. Yep, yeah. like that's pretty common. Guys are <laughs> guys are like, oh no, oh, I used to do arrow. it all the time. I was yeah. like, okay, my number one arrow. This is the one that spun the best. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I used that to do one that. spins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look at the bull I shot this year. First shot, money shot him. Where did the other four arrows go? Oh, I shot him. Yeah. No, I shot him four times, but all the arrows <laughs> were in the same hole on that bull. Oh, really? They all literally, <laughs> look at the picture. It's got like a baseball-sized hole in the bull, and they were all just going through, and you That's know the bleeder pretty. veins would clip another part of the hide, and it just opened him up. Huh. But those are all various yardages, too, and I wasn't even, I'm not looking at an arrow. I'm just grabbing ammo and yeah. putting them through them. That was an expensive bull. Those iron wills. <laughs> oh, man. He didn't want to die, did he? It's like a $300 bull. <laughs> Jesus. I had a guy uh, 
uh, there's a tree full me, of iron wills out there. Is there I know really? exactly where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> somebody was telling me like, oh yeah, I, I told somebody I like to save broadheads um, after I use them, and that's the reason I don't use um, iron wills because it would get expensive quick. And it, he took it like, oh yeah, you're coming. Like, that's not what I meant, man. I'm like, I like a forty dollar token is is expensive. Oh you yeah. Know? He took it as like, oh yeah. I'm like, I'm not saying I killed all of God's creations. I'm just saying, you know. I'm not going to have a $40 token just sitting there. I'm going to reuse that bitch over and over again if I have a premium. Oh, yeah. You know? yeah well, you're paying that much money for a product. You, <laughs> you're going to reuse it. Well, I, I think this was a good episode, and I want to save a little bit of time for another episode here, um, basically going over the new bows. So appreciate you guys coming on to the show, and uh, we're going to wrap this thing up and then start going over some new bows and start another episode. Awesome, Garrett. Thanks. So, yeah. Thank you. Hey, no problem, guys. Alrighty, everybody, that's this episode of the podcast. Thanks, Chris and Austin, for coming on to the show. You guys were a wealth of knowledge for bow tuning and cam systems, and uh, really appreciate you guys taking time out of your day to come on to the show. Thank you guys for tuning in. If you can, leave a five-star review on iTunes with a comment so I know that you left it, and uh, be really happy to hear your guys' feedback on this one. I've been wanting to get, like I said, this episode out for a long time now. Uh, if you guys are digging what the podcast is doing, I'm getting a lot of really good feedback. Guys message me, taking me time taking time out of their day to, to let me know what they think of the podcast and really being motivating and encouraging. If you guys really like the podcast and you want to support the show and be closer to it with exclusive access, uh, become a patron. It's the best way to do it. It will absolutely help the podcast grow. I'm investing in a lot of computer equipment and editing equipment uh, to really up the game uh, here very, very soon and uh, plan on having all that stuff by February. So if you guys want to support the podcast, help it grow, make sure we're getting information to the people who need it and want it, uh, become a patron at patreon.com slash onpointpodcast, and uh, that's how you do it there. Right now, any amount uh, gets you all the access, but we're going to constantly be updating and sweetening the pot and doing exclusive giveaways just for Patreon members. So uh, very important there. And uh, you can actually steer where the conversation goes by asking your, having me tell somebody something or ask a, ask a question. It's all on there. So thanks, everybody, for joining me, and I will talk to you on the next one. Bye.